0: Good evening, Um, greetings, and welcome, and thank you so much for coming. Um, It truly is a privilege uh, to speak to you all and to um, share with you the story of what God has done. Christmas, it is the most wonderful time of the year. And as many of you here would probably agree, there is a great commonality that we share in our adoration of the Christmas season. And it's not dependent on being a Christian. For the most part, most of us would agree, it is the most wonderful time of the year. We love the spirit of Christmas. We love the joy, the peace, the hope, the time off work, the twinkly lights, the presents, the food, the parties, and dressing up. We love our neighborhoods, decorated with brightly lit houses, cutting down a fresh tree and decorating it with lights, hauling out decorations we'd forgotten about Reminiscing over treasured memories and making new ones christmas is and should be an absolute joy to the world However, this wasn't always the case for me Christmas wasn't an absolute joy for me until the first year. I believed that the baby boy Born of a virgin lying in a manger with no room at the inn, was in fact the son of God my Savior Jesus Christ the year was 2012, and please let me explain. I think it's, it's important for you to know that I grew up in a home without God. We didn't know who God was. We didn't go to church ever. We didn't go to church at Christmas and Easter. I don't know if my sisters, who are a little bit older than me, if they ever went to Sunday school. I know I went to Sunday school for maybe a couple of weeks. Um, my best friend that lived across the road uh, had started a church church. Attending a Mormon Sunday school and she asked if I'd like to come with her and I said, of course I would my parents are doing nothing on a Sunday morning and cartoons end early and I'd love to go So off we trotted and I was so excited it with anticipation as I stood at the bus stop and waited for that yellow bus to c- pull up and hop on I did and and I get on and a really pretty Smiling face looks at me and says hello, and can I have your name and and your phone number and my heart sank, I panicked, I didn't know what to do. You see, the night before, my parents, in a drunken rage, had gotten into a fight, and they pulled the phone out of the wall. So my grade, my eight-year-old brain thinks, I don't have a phone number anymore. If they call the house, nobody's gonna answer. What am I gonna do? So I lied. I lied and said that Teresa was my sister, and we shared the same phone number. And I was so ashamed. I was so ashamed that I lied to her. And I was so ashamed and embarrassed of where I came from. My sisters and I lived in great fear and trembling in our home. Both our parents were raging alcoholics. They were hurting people. And I have great compassion for them. And anything I tell you tonight is not that so you would look on them or look on me with pity or look on them and think any less of them. I love them deeply and I've forgiven them and they were hurting people and hurt people hurt people, don't they? So when we were growing up, there were lots of fights. There was lots of broken promises and there was abandonment. The first time I was ever thrown out of the house, I think I was I think I was in grade one. I uh, remember being woken up. It was late at night. I think my father had already left the home at this point, and my mom was raising us three girls, and that couldn't have been easy. She was raising them on her own. She got no support from her ex husbands She had no support to raise these kids. And in a drunken stupor, she uh, she decided that she couldn't take it anymore, and we had to go. So I remember packing my little red suitcase, and uh, I think one of my sisters got to stay, but that's okay. I still love her dearly i didn 't mind i didn 't really want to be the chosen one to be perfectly honest, but I remember coming down the stairs and sitting on the front stoop and my sister my one sister 's a little bit older than I am, and she uh, she said jenny don 't don 't cry it 's okay she 's going to fall asleep soon and she 'll let us and we 'll just go back in and we 'll go to bed and we 'll go to school, and she won 't remember. I remember coming home from uh, Coming home from school on a Friday night. You know how exciting Fridays are when you get home from school and it's the last day of the week. And uh, we get into the door and my grandma's at the kitchen table and she tells us that our mom has quit her job and she's moved to England and she's not coming home. She did come home. It took about three weeks. Maybe she ran out of money. Maybe she missed us just a little bit. But she did come home. And I have a lot of heartbreaking stories like those. But I, I tell you this, like I said, not so you would think any less of my parents. But I tell you this so you might have a little bit of an understanding of how I became so fearful and anxious. I was afraid to trust, and I was loath to being vulnerable. Those formative years should have been preparing me for a fruitful life. I should have been filled with wonder and excitement, maybe some hope at some good things to come. But I wasn't. When I left the home at the ripe old age of 16, I was filled with anger and hostility, bitterness, and resentment. I wasn't motivated. I quit high school. I lived with various people and I only worked to afford what was important to me. I traipsed through my 20s living a very selfish existence. By this time, I was solely living by how I felt. And my moral barometer was not set very high. I felt felt good, I did it. If it didn't feel good, I just didn't do it. But during those years, I always wanted a boyfriend. Not necessarily a husband, because my mom had three, and they were all terrible. So I didn't think I wanted one of those. But I wanted a boyfriend, and I didn't want a traditional family. And not because I believed the lies that my mother told me. I didn't believe that we ruined her life. I didn't believe that we were the reason that life was so bad for her. I don't think we made it any easier But I didn't believe those lies. The reason I didn't think I wanted kids was because I had no confidence that I would love them well. I had only ever taken care of myself. I had my own apartment. I lived in downtown Toronto. I didn't know my neighbors. I lived an anonymous life. I wasn't taking care of anybody. I did not even have a pet. Not a fish, not a hamster, not a nothing. I didn't even drive. I didn't even have to take care of a car. But I did want someone to take care of me. Someone who would adore me like no other. I wanted someone to protect me and save me from every bad thing that could possibly happen. Someone who could take all the hurt in my heart and make it disappear. When I was 30, I did find a man that felt that that fit that bill almost entirely. And he gave me the hope that I maybe I could have a family and that I could love. But he couldn't take the hurt that I carried into our relationship and make it disappear. And what an unfair burden to lay on another human. And that burden and hurt damaged our marriage. By the time we moved to Barrie in 2011, we were on the brink of collapse. I was 42 years old. I'd been married for a number of years. I had three healthy, gorgeous children. We just moved into a new home, and my life was a mess. Not outwardly, of course. My fear of vulnerability didn't allow for transparency to the outside world. We did what we could to hide it from family and friends. But there was one night... There was one night we had a dinner party at our home with friends and I say I think i'm being funny. I say I think I want to know who jesus is People say this guy saves them And I want to know what that means and without missing a beat my good friend lisa says well have I got the person for you Her name is kathy and she loves jesus and she would love to tell you about him and that totally sobered me up. I was like, no, 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 we're all fine here. We're good. I was just kidding. Like, that was one of my funnies. Please don't take me seriously. But she did. And within a week, I had Kathy sitting at my kitchen table sharing the gospel of Christ with me. And I honestly, I don't know that I remembered what much of what she said, but she told me a couple of things. She said, Jenny, if you ever give your life to Christ, please tell someone. And the other thing she did for me was she left me a little booklet, a little booklet written by Rick Warren that says, what on earth are we here for? And this little booklet answers some of the questions that we have. And and it did answer some of my questions. And one of the things it said is, what we're here for is to glorify God and to love others. I'd never heard such a thing. And within a a very (laughs) few short days after that, momentous meeting, something else happened in my life. My husband worked shift work, so he was home from work that day, and he was going to pick up the kids after school. I normally go pick up the kids. I don't know why he was going that day, but he went out the door, him and the dog trotted. And as I'm in the kitchen, puttering around and busying myself, the rain starts to come down, and I think, oh, I don't think he had an umbrella. I think they're gonna get wet. I didn't think I should go get in the car and go get them. That didn't occur to me. I just assumed I'd have a wet family coming through the door and boy did they come through the door. Three kids come barreling through the door. Mom, mom, you're not gonna believe what happened. And they were speaking over top of themselves and they couldn't tell me fast enough that the nicest woman they had ever met stopped the car, rolled down the window and said, get in, I will drive you guys home. And Billy's saying, oh, uh, okay. And, well, we just live around the corner. He says, yeah, I think I've seen you around. I think I know where you live. And they hop in the car, and Billy gets the dog to trot home. Which says, no, come on, you two get in. And, and the kids could say, the car was already full with her kids. But we piled in. At this point, my husband's now making his way through the door, and the kids were so excited, and he's standing in the doorframe. And he says, Jenny, I think you're going to want to meet this woman. There's something different about her. She's special. And I did meet her. Within a matter of days, I was in Janet's kitchen and she was sharing the gospel with me. And there was a a scripture reference on her chalkboard. I'd never seen anything like it. I figured people read the Bible, but I certainly did not think that they put it in a place of honor where they would see it every day. Janet shared some things with me, I shared some things with her, and she opened my eyes to the possibility that maybe I didn't know everything, that maybe there was a lot I had to learn about Christianity, that the Christmas story actually starts well before Mary, Joseph and Jesus in the little town of Bethlehem. 800 years before the birth of Jesus, the prophet Isaiah announced eight centuries of darkness for Israel. Darkness for Israel equaled political oppression by five major empires, Assyria, Babylon, Persia, Greece, and Rome. After 800 years of darkness, however, Isaiah prophesied hope. He said, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. The light is freedom from the darkness. And the way God is going to shine that light is by a baby being born. The light that shined was the birth of Jesus, Israel's king. Isaiah described the birth of Jesus this way. Now, I wasn't oppressed by five major empires. But before I knew that that baby born in the major was God in human form, the savior of the world, I was in total darkness. But on that wonderful day in 2012, I who dwelt in deep darkness, on me a light had shined. Jesus became my king, my savior, and this changed everything for me it changed my whole life it changed my understanding of christmas i was so ignorant of who god was of his character and of his love for mankind jesus christ was born into this world fully human fully god to save us from our sins in matthew chapter 11 jesus invites us to know him He says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This invitation causes me to weep, because when Janet found me, I was weary I was carrying heavy burdens, and I needed rest. The burden of anger and resentment, fear and anxiety, addictions and shame were more than I could bear. I was drowning, and I could not hold myself up under the weight of it all. And our loving God never intended us to. He didn't create us He did not create us as robots, but he did put into the heart of every human a desire, a yearning for something greater than ourselves. And this desire is for him. Only most of us don't know it. We shun God and do everything we can to quench that desire with worldly things, material things, self-help, quick fixes, the love of a good man, and the birth of our children. Although many of these things are good in them of themselves. They are finite and not everlasting These worldly things are only a band-aid a temporary relief or refuge They are and never will be enough our jobs our homes our vacation and our things our husbands our friends and even our children are not saving us God's love is infinite, everlasting, and life-saving. The love of Jesus Christ is the answer to the emptiness we feel inside. Accepting Jesus Christ into my heart dawned a light into my darkness, opening my eyes, saving me, and setting me free. My heart has been regenerated, and I no longer seek worldly things to fill me up my life has radically been transformed by the grace of God. And this amazing grace saved my marriage. My husband will tell you that if I did not accept Christ, we never would have survived. You see, I was so blind. I could no longer see the noble man I married. My sin, my selfishness, and my pain was blinding me to what was right in front of me. And when God saved my marriage, he preserved my family. He kept the five of us intact under one roof. At a time when marriages were breaking down all around us, families were splitting up. And I have to say, it looked very attractive at times. But the reality of those lives being lived out in that way terrified us both. My husband wanted to break the legacy we were both born into which was broken families. He wanted to give our kids a chance at a life neither of us had. And this wasn't a material life, but one where a mom and dad would stay together, despite having every worldly reason for leaving. We had to fight to save our marriage, and not a life of misery together, but one of great love. My regenerated heart loves him deeply. I'm crazy about him. I adore him and I respect him. And for a relationship to move from a place of such hostility and anger and resentment to a place of loving can only be described as supernatural. I stopped blaming him, judging him, and reacting sinfully to him every time I heard something I didn't like. And I have to give thanks to a Christian writer by the name of Paul David Tripp. We did a little um, book marriage study uh, after I accepted Christ. And there was, you know, the 200 pages that he had written. And and there was a lot of good nuggets in there for sure. But the, the line that has stuck with me always was the biggest problem in my marriage is me. I no longer look to my husband and my children to complete me. And this allows me to love them wholly and not for selfish gain. I sought out, apologized, and asked for forgiveness from people whom I have wronged. I am continually asking my children to forgive me when I lash out at them in anger and frustration. I forgave. And I continue to forgive because Christ has forgiven me the greatest debt of all. He has wiped my slate clean with his blood. I replaced destructive behaviors that were feeding a fearful and self-centered existence with self-control. I started to care about this body and mind. I gave up late-night television so I could get up before the rest of the house and read the Bible. I quit lying and gave up smoking. Now, I know smoking wasn't the sin, but what I was doing in order to smoke was. I was lying to my husband and my children about what I was doing. I stopped being so vain, and I got hearing aids. Again, hearing loss is not a sin. But what I was doing to avoid getting those hearing aids was I was too prideful. My hearing loss damaged our marriage. I needed hearing aids for probably 10 years before I got them. Have any of you ever been in a room with someone who doesn't hear well? Can you imagine the strain that puts on a marriage? Can you imagine what got lost in translation? Can you imagine what he sounded like, what his tone was like after the third, fourth, and fifth time of repeating himself? It wasn't wasn't my hearing loss. It was my pride that kept me from getting those. I went off antidepressant medication after 12 long years of struggling while on it. I used to be a pretty big girl. In fact, I was at my very heaviest five years ago. At the lowest time in my life, my scale was the highest. I was addicted to food and alcohol for all the obvious reasons however I was also a Weight Watchers lifetime member this meant that I could take the weight off but I could never keep it off because I was always still battling the demons of low self-worth I was looking to fill up what was empty and so for the first time in my life I didn't lose weight to look good I was just so sick of myself and what I was doing to this body that God gave me. I lost weight out of gratefulness to God for the life he gave me. I started exercising and I stopped overeating. I stopped self-medicating with alcohol. I stopped living by how I was feeling and started living in obedience to God. Now, I know for some of us that this word obedience is a tough one to swallow. It is countercultural, and it was foreign to me also. We live in a no one is, no is going to tell me what to do society. It's an anything goes kind of world. And we think God's word is outdated, or we cherry pick the parts that agree with our personal world view. We're strong women, right? We're income earners. We're independent. We get an equal say. We don't think strength and independence have anything to do with submission and authority. But I have learned the exact opposite is true. God's rules are not to oppress, but to protect and to produce. Living a life in obedience to God produces Jesus-like character. And it is God working in me, giving me the desire To obey him and the power to do it. And I am so grateful that Jesus saved me from myself. I try not to waste time living in shame and regret, but I press on toward the goal to honor God and love others. For to us, a child is born. To us a son is given and the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Prince of Peace. Peace. Isn't that what we all crave for in our lives, in the world? Especially at Christmas time. It's a time we feel compelled to let bygones be bygones, a time of forgiveness, of overlooking offenses. We let things slide because it's Christmas, right? Things we normally harbor resentment for all year long are ready to be shelved for the sake of Christmas. We want Christmas to be a time of joy, a time of giving, where goodwill toward all men actually exists. And it makes sense for us to want these things because the very things we love about Christmas are born out of all things that are in Christ. Christ is love. Christ is forgiving and Christ is light. The very spirit of Christmas is, in fact, who Jesus Christ is. So think about it. Think about it when you're enjoying the good things of the season, where they came from. The goodwill, the giving, and the Christmas lights. God created us to want him, to trust him, and to choose him as our God. Therefore, he sent his only son. And because he did, everything has changed, including my Christmas experience. I am no longer controlled by the highs and lows of the season, the shopping, the wrapping, and the credit card bills, the cooking, the cleaning, and the traveling, the social pressures, the parties, and oftentimes loneliness. As much as I loved Christmas before 2012, there was always a little something missing, a little sorrow, A little sadness a loneliness and hope that was usually followed by disappointment now the very sight of a nativity scene stirs my soul I am not sad and there is no sorrow there is no disappointment in the season I rejoice in what God has done I celebrate the birth of a Savior and I am in awe of what his life means for humanity I sing joy to the world and I mean it when I sing it The Lord has come He saved me. He set me free from my addictions. He filled up the part of me that was empty He is my strength and shield Christ the Savior is born. Hallelujah So at the end of the season when the decorations get put away in their boxes and the tree has been hauled to the curb And when the Christmas lights go out, the light of our Lord and Savior keeps shining brightly. Christmas never ends for Christians. It is a birth we celebrate every day. It is a story of amazing love. And he is the light of the world given for us, everlasting. Now maybe, maybe there are some of you who, like I was, are in deep darkness. And maybe some of you want that light of Jesus to shine into your darkness. He can and he will if you ask him to. If you'd like to pray a silent prayer with me right now, asking Jesus into your heart, you can. Please just follow me. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much. I thank you for who you are and for setting me free. I thank you for sending your only son To die on the cross for my sins. Because he bore the weight of my sin on the cross and conquered death from the grave, I am free. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.